0: Hanukkah to everyone. A very, very happy Hanukkah. Um, May this Hanukkah bring a lot of light to all the Jewish people and big, big miracles. Uh, Ultimately, to the ultimate miracle, the coming of Mashiach. May it happen now. Um, This week's um, shir was sponsored by Daron and Hannah Muller. And this is in honor of Daron's mother, uh, Rivka Bas Yeshua Fal Khalevi, Allah HaShallam whose yard site was today on the first day of Hanukkah and his wife's his, Hannah's mother his uh, father whose yard site is also today Shmuel Shachna Ben Baruch um, May they both have a very, very, very great Aliyah to the greatest of heights and much, much bracha to the, Daru- to the Muller family uh, Mazel and bracha parnasa barchav, and only, only good things Thank you for this special dedication. Another dedication today uh, was is by my daughter z c zirkind now i'm still used to calling her z c wolf but she's Uh this is in honor of her husband uh, a miracle a big miracle today's a uh, the anniversary of uh, an accident that he had a really really bad accident two years ago and uh, he's a <laughs> He's a miracle man. That he, he's, uh, it, was, it was very, very, really, really really bad, to say the least. And thank God, he's miraculously recovered. And tonight, the first night of Hanukkah, was the day of the accident. And to see him today is really a wonder. Hashem's incredible miracles. So my daughter is definitely happy and thankful for that. So, and me too, and all of us. So may Hashem continue to bless them with abundant miracles and brachas and all that they need and all that they wish and good health and only good things. Thank you for that dedication. And now, finally, the CD this week uh, was by Rivka Hana Hirsch and this is in honor of her father who needs shalema. Bunim Leib ben Adelaide um, may he have a complete, a total refuah shleima, a great, a very, very complete healing. Okay, speedily. And you should be better than before amongst all the ill of the Jewish people. Uh, tonight is Hanukkah, and it's actually the second night of Hanukkah, so the light and the blessings are increasing every moment. It's a very, very special time. Um, so, I'd like to devote this year to Hanukkah, and maybe if a miracle happens, we can connect it also to the Parsha of the week. Um, depends on the flow of how things flow tonight. Okay. Because the Parsha is Parsha's Mikates. I always feel bad for Mikates that it doesn't get the attention it needs, because Hanukkah is always the exciting thing that overrides Mikates. So, what I try to do is to make a shear that combines both, but I hope I can get there to the part that connects to Parashas Miketz. Okay. Um, The lighting of the menorah is very special. It's a a wonderful mitzvah. Um, It's hard to say about a mitzvah, a wonderful mitzvah. Every mitzvah is special. But the kindling of the menorah is super special. Um, It it brings such a powerful light into the world, uh, both to ourselves, it illuminates our homes, and it illuminates outdoors, then the light of Hanukkah lights up the world. The Talmud tells us an interesting thing, that if someone is accustomed to this mitzvah, which means if someone is careful in the mitzvah of lighting Hanukkah lamps, they will merit to have children who are Torah scholars. Haragil B'ner, this is a passage in the Talmud, in Mesech de Shabbos, tractate Shabbos, page 23, Davchav Gimel, Ahmed Baez on the second side of the page. Amar Rav Huna, Rav Huna says, Aragul B'ner, if someone is careful and accustomed to lighting, to lighting, or someone who's, the actual translation of the Gemara is, if someone is accustomed to, to lamps, to candles. Haviyon they will have children, Talmid scholars. Rashi says, what does that mean? Haragil benair. So Rashi says, it means... Um, give me over here. Banem Rashi brings it... He, he derives it from a verse. it says in the Pasuk, Kiner mitzvah. The light of a mitzvah. The mitzvah is a lamp. The Torah or, and Torah is light. Rashi explains. That, that's a verse in Proverbs. Al Yedei Ner Mitzvah, through this that you light the Mitzvah lamp. What is the Mitzvah lamp? Which Ner, which candle is a Mitzvah to light? It's the Shabbos candles and Hanukkah candles. The Shabbat candles that women light Friday before, the, before Shabbos comes in. Ner the Shabbos, the Chanukkah and Chanukkah. or Torah, the light of Torah comes. Because Ner Mitzvah, the light of the Mitzvah, Torah Or and Torah Light, which means that Torah Light is a derivative and it is drawn down through Ner Mitzvah, through the candle of a mitzvah. So what does that tell you about the spiritual qualities of this of, the, of candle Hanukkah menorah? It has such power that it will bring such a spiritual and such a powerful illumination that it will influence not only the person doing the mitzvah, but that his children... His future children, even those that weren't even born yet, when you light the menorah, or you're careful with with Shabbos candles, menorah candles, that will have an influence on the next generation for one to have children Torah scholars, which is the greatest blessing one can give any Jewish parent, is that we should have children that are shining with, radiant with godly light, the light of the, light of the Torah. So, now well, this needs to be a little bit... Understood, because you know generally we know that a mitzvah has an influence not only the moment you do the mitzvah but the mitzvah has a has an influence on a person and it brings good things to a person. Generally, the sages tell us, mitzvah gereres mitzvah. You do one mitzvah, it inspires you to do another mitzvah. A mitzvah pulls another mitzvah. That's true about every mitzvah. One mitzvah will inspire another mitzvah. However, what's what say? What's unique about Chanukah? lamps is that not only will it bring a mitzvah but it will help you have children that are Torah scholars which means and a Torah scholar really means not just someone who knows knows scholastically a lot of knowledge a Torah scholar generally means a a saintly person who is knowledgeable in Torah and is keeping all the mitzvot so which means that the mitzvah of hanukkah doesn't only inspire another mitzvah but it inspires all of observance. It draws down, it, 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 it stimulates all the observance, not just one mitzvah, because it says you're going to have children scholars. It's going to bring a person to the observance of all the mitzvahs to have even the next generation, their children too will be scholars. And not only that, but they'll be scholars, not only mitzvah doers, but also scholars, which we know that Torah is in a sense greater than all the mitzvahs. As we say every day in the davening, we say it, that the Torah study is equivalent to all mitzvahs. So here we need to understand what is the uniqueness of this mitzvah? We don't find that in any other mitzvah that we should say that it has that power to influence complete observation. Now we do see it literally in the, in, as a result of today we see that there's been the, the Hanukkah menorah has been taken out into the street like the mitzvah initially is intended to to be done to some degrees, which you put it, in Israel they do it as well, they put it outside of the, the, the courtyard by the fence. They have special menorahs that are enclosed in glass so that they don't be extinguished by the wind because the initial mitzvah was to put it out to the closest door of your home or your property to the street. Um, so that... The the, the the minhag, the way we do the mitzvah today has been changed, that we light the menorahs indoors, maybe by the window or by the doorway. We don't do it to the street. This was because of anti-Semitism and things that Jews had when they went into exile. It wasn't easy to go and light up the street. But today's days we have taken the menorahs out and are the public menorahs that are lit all over and we see that they have such power that there are so many Jews in the world today whose first encounter with Judaism was one of those Hanukkah, public Hanukkah menorahs, in which they were drawn to that event and something ignited in their soul. Um, now, it's not just, okay, because this was public and they're going shopping in the mall and there was something that caught their eye, the menorah lighting, and they went there and they asked questions and Jewish and they had a, they had a donut and whatever and that kind of awoke their, their, their thirst. There's something deeper from the, when you watch a menorah, the light of the menorah, the mitzvah of Hanukkah, draws the rest of the Torah down, as it says from the Mishnah. N'era mitzvah, the the mitzvah n'air, can influence Torah or the general light of Torah. So the question is why? And not simple, we can say it is just a sagula. It is you know, it, Rashi says why. It says so in the verse. But that doesn't answer the question. That only proves it. How, what's the reason why the mitzvah of Hanukkah has such Powerful general influence on a person's spiritual life. Why this mitzvah? So, now, it, it would seem like if you take a look further in the Talmud, the Gemara lists a whole bunch of other mitzvahs in which the when you do this mitzvah, it has this effect. It speaks about the reward. And in all those rewards, the reward is actually, it, it makes sense that the reward should be as a result of the mitzvah. So that will imply that over here too, it seems that there's some logic to it. It's not just some mystery that we don't know, why Hanukkah has this power, but there is some logic to this, why the candlelights of Hanukkah are so powerful. How do we see that, because the Gemara goes on to list, the Talmud says like this, if you are um, Hazar mezuzah, if you're careful with a mezuzah, which means you make sure you have a kosher mezuzah on your doorway, and being careful with it means to, to check it. A lot of times people put a mezuzah up and they don't check it for many years. A mezuzah should really be checked. I think the law is two times in seven years you're supposed to check your mezuzahs. But it says that those who want to really be careful with it should check it once every year to make sure your mezuzahs are kosher. So azar mezuzah, if you're careful with mezuzah, zayich al no, guess what? That's going to land you in a nice apartment or in a nice house. The mitzvah will bring you a blessing in your home. So the best, surest way, if you're unhappy with where you're living or you want to buy a home and you can't find a home be careful with your mezuzahs there's a merit, the mitzvah will lead now we understand the connection because a mitzvah is a, the mezuzah is a mitzvah that you affix to the door of your home so that's why this mitzvah brings blessing in regards to a home then the, then the gemara continues hazarab tzitzis, if you're careful with the mitzvah of the tzitzis, the fringes that Jewish men wear that's going to bring you nice clothing They'll merit you, I guess. will give you the, the ability to afford to buy nice clothing. be Kiddish ayom, If you're careful with kiddush, kiddush on Friday on Shabbos, you make kiddush on, on wine. omamala You'll merit to have um, cisterns filled with wine. Okay, so you see, there's a connection. There is a connection. If we say Hanukkah candles. Bring to children scholars, which brings, it means it brings to a big influx of observance and spiritual light. So I mean, there has to be something intrinsic in this mitzvah that has such an effect. So the question is why the Hanukkah menorah? Um, more particularly, to, to specify the question a little better, is that the mitzvah of the Hanukkah menorah is one particular mitzvah that you do for a few moments in the day and has a very, very, a very limited form of observance. First of all, it's only eight days in the year. It's only during the days of Hanukkah. Secondly, within the time, it's not a mitzvah which you're doing 24 hours, even though the holiday of Hanukkah is 24 hours, meaning eight times 24 hours, eight days. But the actual mitzvah of the menorah is only for a short period. It has to be after the sun sets and then you just have a few hours in which you can light the menorah. And even when you light the menorah, how long does it have to burn? For a half an hour. If you do it within the designated time, a half an hour, you fulfilled your mitzvah. So it's a mitzvah that is very specific and very particular. In one particular area, and one particular aspect of your life, it occupies only a little bit of time of your daily, of your daily schedule. And of the entire year, it's a small little mitzvah done at a small... Uh, at, 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 at a short, in a short little um, section of time, and yet, what is it bringing? It's bringing the light of observance of all of mitzvot, and not only that, it's bringing Torah, which Torah is the one mitzvah that is timeless. The mitzvah to study Torah is every moment, all the time. It's not based in any particular place or any particular time. So the question is how. Can a little mitzvah, as small as the light of lighting Hanukkah candles, which, to add to that, it's only a rabbinic commandment, it's not even a biblical commandment, have the power to tug and to pull down the general flow of spirituality, all of Torah, to you and to your children? Why? What's its power? So, the answer we can give there is a question that is asked in regards to Hanukkah in general. At Hanukkah, was celebrating the victory of the Maccabim, of the Hashmonaim, okay, those who fought back against, we might say, the Jewish resistance, religious zealots, radicals, who did not want to accept the ways of the Greeks and the Assyrian culture, the Greek culture, and they fought, and we had a stunning victory, a stunning victory. Because the Jewish people didn't really have much of an army. We were really, at that time, we weren't really militarily fit for war. The Jews were crushed by the Assyrians, by the Greeks at that time. It began as a small little revolt of just one family. And they had groups of people that later went and joined them. And then it was just hundreds and maybe thousands that joined them. But it was still no, no competition, no way that we can we can stand up against the mighty military. Uh, this was a world power of the, of, the, of the Assyrians of that time. And the Jewish people fought guerrilla warfare. And based on all predictions of any military expert, the prognosis would be forget it, doomed, absolute failure. We might do them a little harm, but there's no way we can win this battle. And yet, miraculously, we won the war, even though we were outnumbered and we were outgunned, and yet we won that war. It didn't make any sense. And we say that's the miracle. The miracle, we, we say it in our benching and then during the prayer. Uh, uh, the special addition that we add to the grace after the meals, the Birchas and to the davening, we say alanisim, And over there, we say Masar Togiborim, you gave military warriors, strong men, in the hands of the weak. This was a clan of priests. They were not even trained in, in a war. That's where they, they were. They were a bunch of rabbis who went to fight. You ever see see a rabbi try to make a sukkah? He doesn't even know which side to hold the hammer. Let alone, you know, they didn't, they, they, they. okay, so I guess Yehuda Maccabees, they, they knew how to fight. But it wasn't, it wasn't our skill. And yet we won this war. So it was a big, 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 big miracle. And yet, when we celebrate on Hanukkah, besides mentioning it, brief mention during the prayer, that's not the way we commemorate Hanukkah. The way we commemorate Hanukkah is by lighting the menorah. Why do we light the menorah? Because we're commemorating the miracle that happened in the Holy Temple in which they came in and they found only one jug of jar of oil and there was only enough to light for one day and it lit for eight days. So that's what we commemorate. Now that's very special. It's very special that the menorah burned but how can you compare that to a nation that has just miraculously fought off this major, major empire and became autonomous and became free and were liberated. This is, this is like the Jewish July 4th. Think about it. Chanukah. And yet, we don't, we hardly notice that. We hardly make a big deal about that. And the mitzvah is the lighting of the menorah. And the explanation of that is, because we have to realize, the reason we fought the war was because of our spiritual well-being, not because of our physical well-being. Because the physical well-being of the Jewish people was pretty good under the Assyrians. The Assyrians, the Assyrian Greeks were not interested in oppressing the Jewish people and giving them a hard time. They were willing that the Jewish people should prosper Financially, and every aspect of life. And actually, they built stadiums and they were giving the people an opportunity to really live it up when it comes to the material and the physical. So, if a person was bent on living a body oriented, physical, material, um, obsessed life, life under the Greeks was wonderful. And there were many Jews who realized that and they joined with the Greeks. It was only those who wanted, who recognized that life is not about the material enjoyments and pleasures, but life is about connecting and fulfilling our mission that we have, and bonding with God, and fulfilling our mission as the Jewish nation in this world to light up the world with spiritual light. It was those people that were that were in trouble. It was that life because the Greeks wanted to snuff out our candle, our flame, our spiritual light. They wanted to eradicate the Torah. They wanted to um, eliminate the observance of mitzvahs. So this was a spiritual battle, even though we had to take to the physical battlefield to fight this war, but it was all about our spirit. It was, and therefore, when we won this battle, what triumphed was spirit triumphed over matter, light triumphed over, over darkness, holiness triumphed over evil or over the mundane and the secular. This is what, what, this is what the victory is all about. And that's why we commemorate it with something spiritual. The menorah, when you look at the menorah, you're looking at spirituality. Light, light is a symbol for spirituality, for holiness. It's adding, it's, it's a glow, it's beautiful. And that's what the candle, we said earlier, the candles stand for kiner mitzvah. The mitzvah is a lamp. Torah or Torah is light; it's the victory of holiness. So the menorah shines brightly. So now we understand that that the mitzvah of Hanukkah candles is not just this particular act that we're doing, this particular mitzvah. This mitzvah represents the renewal and the rededication and the miracle, the miraculous survival of all of Torah and all of mitzvot in the world. If not for the story of Hanukkah, then the light of of the Jewish people, the Torah and the mitzvahs would have been extinguished. So it comes out that this mitzvah contains within it the observance of all mitzvahs, because the mitzvah of Hanukkah was what allowed for all of Judaism, the continuity of Torah and mitzvahs, the perseverance, of 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 the Torah in the world, of the flame of the Torah that it should continue burning brightly in the world, that is a direct derivative of Hanukkah. So we understand why this mitzvah contains within itself the potency of all of the Jewish of, of of Jewish observance, because this mitzvah led, and this mitzvah is symbolic of the of the of the endurance. And the, and the boundless energy and the truth of Torah that it cannot be extinguished. That's why, if someone is careful with this mitzvah, this mitzvah is the key to all of observance. Like Hanukkah was, the, was, the, was that uh, the instrument that, 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 that allowed us to keep all of Yiddishkeit. That would be somehow a good explanation. However, the, the, uh, let's try to get a little bit deeper into this. Because, I mean, after everything is said and done, you're right, the theme beyond Hanukkah is this vast theme of the eternity of the Jewish people and the eternity of Torah and mitzvahs. That's true, the theme behind it. But the actual mitzvah, as we said before, seems to be a very limited mitzvah, applying only for eight days in the year, one half an hour every day—that's all the mitzvah is. Torah observance envelops a human being from the moment they're born to the moment they leave this world, and even after you leave this world, because there's laws pertaining to a person after they leave the world—the laws of the funeral and the burial—and year. I mean, there's so you see that, and and, there, and then there's the Torah governs our life even before we're born, because there's rules and regulations of how to bring a child into this world. So you have all these. So you see, Torah is so broad, so all-enveloping, and yet we have this one mitzvah, which is so specified, and so particular in one little, a few short moments of the year, and this influences all of observance. Let's see if there's some kind of a a a a a a, a, a better understanding in the broadness of this mitzvah, in the all-inclusiveness. Of the mitzvah of Hanukkah, even though it seems to be so specific, so here's an interesting thing: the mitzvah of Hanukkah, the mitzvah of Hanukkah, is derived from the menorah of the Holy Temple, of the Beis Hamikdash. Why are we lighting our Hanukkah menorah? Because in the Temple they had the Beis Hamikdash, and they would light in the Beis Hamikdash. They had the they had the menorah, and they lit it every day. Okay. Um, now, but here, so let's do a comparison between the mitzvah of our Hanukkah menorah and the Beis Amigdash, the the, the 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 lighting of the menorah in the temple. In that, that the mitzvah of menorah in the Beis Amigdash was a mitzvah that was done every day in the afternoon. It was done before dark. We light our Hanukkah menorah after sunset. There they lit the menorah in the daytime. However, and then it burnt for the next few hours till the morning. That's the mitzvah, that the menorah should burn in the holy temple from evening until morning. And what the Torah commands us in that mitzvah, the Torah refers to the, the, the menorah as lahalos ner tamid, to light a constant lamp. Everybody's familiar with the, with, the the, with the idea, with the phrase ner tamid. What does ner tamid mean? In a shul, you'll have the lamp that's always on, whether it's an electric bulb or something, but it's the light that even when you shut the lights, you leave the n'er Tamid on. What is the Ne'er Tamid? Ner Tamid means a constant lamp. The menorah is called Ner Tamid. However, the mitzvah, however, was not Tamid. They would light the menorah in the late afternoon, and it would burn till the morning. And then they would do it the next day. Why is it called Tamid? Tamid meaning continuously, all the time. So Rashi says, that even if something is not actually happening every moment, the fact that something is done consistently every single day, that's called always. In other words, when the Torah says tamid, always, it doesn't have to mean literally every second. Tamid means a continuous activity done daily without interruption. It's part of your regimen. It's part of your daily schedule that can be considered tamid. And Rashi gives an example. There is a sacrifice in the Beis HaMikdash, a certain sacrifice which they offer daily to sheep. That sacrifice is done every morning and every afternoon, late in the afternoon. And that's also called the Korban tamid. Olas tamid. It is a tamid, it is continuous. There too, it's not being done done every moment. The Talmud says in Mesech Psachim that the amount of time they were busy with offering the sacrifice was one hour in the morning and one hour in the afternoon. Yet, the, the mitzvah is, it's called karban tamid, all the time. Why is that? So Rashi says just now, anything you do daily, since it's done all every single day, it's called tamid. However, since Torah is accurate and Torah is absolutely true, we're not dealing with a human expression. We're dealing with a a Torah expression, which is divine. So that would make sense that the word tamid, which means always, it's not some kind of a, like, you know, bedeev tamid. We can call it tamid. If it's called tamid, it means always. It has to mean always. But it's not always. So how do we reconcile it? So you have to say that even though the actual mitzvah was done, only one hour of the day, or two hours of the day, its influence is continuous. Even though the mitzvah, and not only that, it's as if the mitzvah is being done all the time. The Talmud actually tells us that the tamid, the sacrifice, the sheep that they offered every daily in the in the baseline, English in the morning, atoned for all the sins that the Jewish people did during the daytime. The sacrifice that they offered in the afternoon, which was called the afternoon tamid, atoned for all the sins that the Jewish people did in the, in the, during the entire night. Which means it's as if the animal is continuously being sacrificed. 24 hours. Even though the actual doing of it is at one time. So the same is also in the candles of the Beis HaMikdash. The reason why it's called ner tamid, tamid, even though they lit it only in the afternoon, only for the night, and it wasn't burning during the daytime, according to most opinions. According to one opinion, Maimonides says they would light the menorah in the morning as well. Okay, but that's only one opinion. Mostly it was, according to what we, most of the, uh, uh, the uh, halachic authorities say, it was only lit in the afternoon, burnt only at night. Yet it's considered tamid because it's in, it, it is, the act is done at a certain time, but the actual, but the mitzvah, it's, it's, it's what we, we might call a pa'ula nim'sheches. It's a continuous effect. Even though it's happening only at a certain time. Let's see if we can see... We can find that in many mitzvahs. And I just want to give a little bit of an example of something like that. There's a mitzvah to wear tzitzis. The tzitzis of the fringes, we say. A man wears tzitzis during... It's a mitzvah during the day. But you don't make the blessing all day long. I'm wearing tzitzis, I'm wearing tzitzis every minute. You put on the talus in the morning and you make the blessing... And then you wear the tzitzis all day long. So there is a specific time of the day that you're engaged in the actual activity of putting on the tzitzis. But then you just continue to have the mitzvah even though you're not doing the mitzvah, you're having the mitzvah. Another example. Tzedakah. Maybe even a better example. The mitzvah of giving charity. It's not a mitzvah that has a specific time. A specific, specific moment. 24... Seven, you are on charity alert. When you meet a person who's in need, any person that's in the need on the street, you have a mitzvah to extend your hand and give charity. When? Any time. Doesn't say any exceptions, like it's only between four and seven is my charity time, or this time, or that time. Charity is all the time. And you can't even have the excuse I gave you already. Because the rule is by giving charities that you meet someone once you give him once you meet the same person again and he still needs give him a second time, and the Talmud says even a hundred times. And the sages and the and the halachic authorities say when when the Talmud says a hundred times it doesn't put the limit at a hundred. Imagine the same nudnik comes to you a hundred times in one day, right? Yet the Talmud says even that is not is not enough. You have to give him every time he comes. Okay, we hope not everybody listens to this share. That is. But that is the law, that the mitzvah of giving tzedakahs every minute. Yet, yet, the sages in the, in the Mishnah set up certain times when the poor people would come to the gabai. There used to be a gabai tzedakah, a, a man in charge of the tzedakah fund, the foundation of the shul. And the poor people would know. There were four times that the fund was open, four times in the day, like in the morning early afternoon, don't know exactly what the times were in the evening, there were certain times when... the. So even though the mitzvah is continuous, yet you do the mitzvah at a particular time, and it's like, expands for the whole day. Here's a better one. We mentioned earlier the mitzvah to study Torah. The mitzvah to study Torah is a mitzvah you have every moment of your day. Vagis so You're supposed to study Torah day and night. There isn't a minute when a person is exempt from this mitzvah. Yet we know there are very few people who actually do that, who study Torah 24 hours a day. The Talmud actually says there was an argument between two sages, the famous Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, the author of the Zohar, and Rabbi Ishmael. They argued about this. Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai said, you have a mitzvah to study Torah all day long, study Torah all day long. Well, hey, what's with going out to make a living? What's with earning? How, how am I going to make a livelihood? Rabbi Ba Yochai said, "That's God's problem. You do what God told you to do. You sit and learn 24/7. God will provide. How? Miracles will happen. It's none of your business. You study Torah all day long. That was Shima Yochai's approach, and that's what he did himself. Rabbi Yashmal says, "No, people need to make a living." Rabbi Ishmal says, "Go out, find yourself a trade, to learn, learn a trade. Be a farmer, be a doctor, be a tailor, do whatever it takes, be a merchant, do your work, make a living, but set times to study Torah every single day, whether it's an hour, whether it's two hours, you set a specific time, and that's when you study Torah. And the Talmud tells us an astounding thing. Many people tried to follow Rabbi Shimon's advice, and they failed miserably. Many people tried to say, I'm going to study all day long, and I'm going to... It didn't work for them. Many people tried to do like Rabbi Yishmael, and they were very successful. Which means that the way the world is set up today's days for most of the Jewish people is that we cannot study Torah 24-7. Most people are business people, whatever it is, you're working, you're employed, you have a job, you need to do your work. Yet, the one hour of the day that you do study or as I say, there are some people who even fulfill this mitzvah of studying Torah. It says, the Talmud says, it's enough. You do a chapter in the morning and the chapter in the evening. Perek echad b'shachris, perek b'narbayim, and that's, uh, or in the evening, one in the morning. Perek shachris v'arvis. In the morning and in the evening. And there you got your Torah. Now what does it mean? Did you compromise? Does that mean that there has been a compromise? There's a mitzvah to study Torah all day long, but you're not studying Torah. No, that's not what it means. If you only have time for one hour a day to study, then when you study that hour, literally, if you don't waste your time, most of us waste waste time because we think the world will not stand if we don't read the news. And if we're not on top of every news story, what's going on, and be the biggest chacham in it, then the world will collapse, God forbid, because I don't know what's happening. So most of us waste so much time with our phones and with the news, constant reading and all that. That's, that's, just, that's, a, that's, that's a different discussion for another time. But whatever it is, if we don't waste time, and we you know, do what it takes to make a living, and the rest of the time we study Torah, it is actually, you are fulfilling what it says, V'hagis sabayi, you should study Torah day and night. Even though it's only 15 minutes a day. You're learning Torah 24 hours. Why? Because the sages say, for those who cannot study all day, you fulfill your mitzvah of Torah study, which is all 24 hours, all the time. Because the mitzvah, again, is not bound in time. It's all the time. But it makes its way into your life in these 15 minutes. So what do we see from here? You see that there's a concept as follows. That you can do something in a particular moment, in a particular time, but its its, its influence and its consequence is far broader than the actual moment and time, slim, narrow time period in which you're doing your, 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 your mitzvah. So the same is about the menorah and the Beis HaMikdash, and the same is the, the story of Hanukkah. Not the story, the mitzvah of Hanukkah menorah. The mitzvah of Hanukkah menorah is an interesting thing. When you're lighting your menorah, you're only spending a half an hour every day in front of your menorah, you did your mitzvah for a very short period of time, but the actual mitzvah of kindling the menorah is not just in this time. And it's not it's the mitzvah's happening all of Hanukkah, but it's not only in Hanukkah. In a sense, it's happening all year long. You're lighting your menorah. Like we see. You can have a mitzvah in a particular time and its extension is 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 broad. Even let's say for instance, even mitzvahs that have a particular time of the year. A very particular time of the year. A sukkah, for instance. You have a mitzvah to sit in a sukkah. So the mitzvah of sitting in a sukkah is what? Is only during sukkahs. Yet we find that the, that, that the mitzvah of sukkahs influences all year long. In what sense? Building a sukkah. Now, a sukkah is only a reality during sukkahs. Any other time of the year, it's what is it? A sukkah? It's not a sukkah. Any other time of the year, it's a hut. It's a wooden hut. Yet, when do we build our sukkah? Before sukkahs. And when we build our sukkah before sukkas, it is a sukkah, even though it's not the eight days of sukkahs. Which means, in a sense, the mitzvah is not in existence, yet your sukkah is a sukkah. And in a sense, it's already holy as a sukkah. Now, what happens if you build your sukkah six months before? So there is an opinion that says, an old sukkah is not a kosher sukkah. But that's only if you did not build it specifically with the intention for sukkah. But if you're built your sukkah with the intention for a sukkah, you know you're going to be busy before Sukkot, or whatever it is that you're doing, and you're building your sukkah six months before sukkah, and you're saying, "I'm doing this for the mitzvah of sukkah that I'm going to do in October." Now it's a, now it's in 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 March, and you're building your sukkah for October. It's it's a sukkah. So what do you see? That even though the the whole existence of Sukkot is only those eight days, the So what does that tell you? Let's just look a little bit deeper into all of this. What that tells us is something really, really phenomenal. That the limitations of mitzvahs in time and space are very, very, very superficial to the mitzvah. It's not inherent in what the mitzvah really is. The mitzvah really is boundless. The mitzvah really is not limited in time and space even though the time and space element of the mitzvahs are so, you might say, part of the mitzvah. Because every mitzvah has its time when it needs to be done. So it's an integral part of the mitzvah. Yet, it's still considered an external element. It's not really what the mitzvah is all about. To understand this a little better, I want to just explain this. There's a, the general question is as follows. Mitzvah observance, as we're saying right now, is very specified. Every mitzvah has its time. To fill in, you wear your tefillin during the day. You cannot wear your tefillin during the night. When it comes nighttime, you're obligated, kind of, to take off your tefillin. Not supposed to wear tefillin during the night. Same as other mitzvahs. You know, you can only do your mitzvah um, at. You know, it comes Hanukkah as we said before. You set the clock, and the lot. It comes the time to the sun sets. You have a couple of hours. You're going to sit and kratz yourself, meaning you're sitting sit and getting busy, whatever it else. You remember, three o'clock in the morning, you have to light your Hanukkah menorah. No one is out in the street anymore. You can't really do your mitzvah. Which means that mitzvah observance comes out to be very, very limited. You're very confined. You're very constricted. The question over here is a simple question. If we analyze who a Jew is, what we really are, we are really godly souls. We have a neshama. And our neshama is a little piece of God from above. And God is infinite. And if God is infinite, that means God is not limited by time and space. Right? Obviously, if He's infinite. And if each and every one of us possess a spark of Hashem that makes up our neshama. And the spark doesn't mean a finite spark. Because a spark from the infinite is infinite itself. And like the Holy Baal Shem Tov teaches, that since the Jewish neshama is essentially emanating from God's very essence... From God's very essence, oh, the he, the Tov's words are: If you take hold of a part of the essence, you have the entire essence. Which means that in the part, in every single Jew, is all of God. It's not like a little piece, a little cr- just a little crumb of God. It's not that way. Every Jew is all of God. Today we can understand it better with the with the innovation of DNA. In which you can take the tiniest little 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 something particle, and you have the entire genetic code of the entire thing in that one little particle. And te- hypothetically, you can regrow and clone the to rebuild the entire thing with what? With one tiny cell. The Jew is a cell. His soul is a cell, one atom, so to speak. God is not, you can't, He's indivisible and unbreakable, but that's the whole idea. A piece of God is all of God. That means we're infinite. And yet, we want to serve God. We want to do a mitzvah. We want to connect to Hashem. And here we set the stopwatch. We put a clock and we say, You got to do it. You have five minutes. You have half an hour. You got 20 minutes for mincha. But my soul wants to bond with God. How do you put these? These, these silly limitations of time and space, how can that get in the way of a soul that's infinite, merging with God that's infinite? It doesn't make any sense that finitude, finite considerations, should play a role in something as deep and as powerful as a mitzvah happening, which is a union between a Jew and Hashem. More than that, the Torah tells us in mitzvahs, Loy say sifu, you can't add. You're only allowed to take four species on the Esrog when you're shaking the Esrog. And the Jew who's got a soul that's boundless and endless and wants to connect to God, he wants to grab the entire botanical garden, every single plant he can, and add that in this beautiful, beautiful bouquet of, I don't know, every vegetable and every plant and shake it all. Because, and then you say, Nope, throw that out. Throw that out. Get rid of the fig. Get rid of the grapes. Get rid of the kiwi. Get rid of the squash. Get rid of the avocado. You can have it all for your yumtiv meal. But in your shaking of the lulav, it's only these four species. How do we place such boundaries and such limitations on something that, by its very definition, is definition that lists is infinite, is boundless? And the answer is, and this is very important to appreciate this and understanding understand this about mitzvah, because this is going to transform your entire mitzvah observance for all of your life if you really internalize this. And for me as well, if I internalize it. And what is it? And the idea is as follows. This that mitzvahs have parameters and limitations is only, only the very, very, very external part of the mitzvah. It's the implementation of this mitzvah into this world and into time and space. In other words, like this. There's three components in the mitzvah. There is God. Actually, I should say there's four components in a mitzvah. There is God, infinite. There is the soul, that's infinite. There is the mitzvah. The mitzvah is God's will. If the mitzvah is Hashem's desire and Hashem's will, that's also infinite. The will is is one with the willer, so that's also infinite. So what's finite? The world in which we're going to do the mitzvah, that's finite. Since these, this union of, of God, mitzvah, and Jew has to take place within the setting of the world, in a manner in which it's not going to blow the world to shreds, blow the world to pieces, it's not going to cause the world to blow a fuse, in order for the mitzvah to be able to, to come into the world and to influence every part of the world, every crevice, every fold, every crease in creation, Every narrow canyon, every crack of creation needs to be illuminated with Hashem's light through the observance of the mitzvah. That's why the mitzvah takes on all these limitations to enter into these narrow sections of time and space. So that the mitzvah can, can, can thoroughly per- permeate all the particular aspects and 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 factors or 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 or, or elements of creation, without dest- without breaking it and destroying it, so the mitzvah confines itself to a particular moment and a particular time. So, if you're really, really analyzing what's happening, really when you're doing the mitzvah, or oh, we might say something like this: Hold on, we might say then, according to this. Is that the? So, oh, so, so where do you see this? Hold on, one second. So, where do you see these? This 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 element, that the mitzvah really is infinite. It's boundless. In order to to influence the world, it like self constricts itself. You see what I'm saying? It's a self imposed constriction as the mitzvah constricts itself into a particular boundary and into particular uh, place so that it can enter into the element of creation of time and space and imbue that space with holiness. But the mitzvah, even while it does that, remains infinite. So where do we see that? So I want to point to a few things that show that in every mitzvah. Number one, the fact that every mitzvah is really originates in Torah. Where does God command us on the mitzvahs? In the Torah. And Torah is infinite. And the infinity in Torah we see because we know that how many commentaries are there are in Torah. bound Endless. You're going to say, well, listen here, we have the Tuesday night here and we're discussing the same Parsha every single year. Or the Monday, I'm sorry, we're talking about the Monday, it used to be Tuesday. It's Monday night we have the class here. Aren't we going to run out of subjects? What's going to happen in 10, 15, 20, 30 years? We're discussing the same Parsha. I, I'm never worried about that. Never, never worried. Why am I never worried? Because there's this, infinite and endless meaning. There is... Even if we only had one verse to study, we would be able to study it forever. Because it goes, it probes deeper and deeper and deeper. You can go into so many different angles. Torah is infinite. It's boundless and it's endless. Since the mitzvahs are rooted in Torah, and Torah is infinite, that's number one. Another interesting factor is, every mitzvah contains, remember we said before about DNA, every cell contains the entire genetic code of the entire body. The same is also in a mitzvah. Every mitzvah contains all the other mitzvot. What do you see that? The law is if I'm doing one mitzvah, I'm exempt from doing another mitzvah. If I'm holding a middle doing a mitzvah, I don't have to do another mitzvah. And the reason is not because I can only do one thing at a time, and God can ask me for the impossible. The answer is because when I'm doing this mitzvah, I'm really doing all the 613. Because in each mitzvah, so you're telling me you're asking me to do that mitzvah, I am doing it already. I'm doing that as it is included in this. But now I'm doing this. Because each mitzvah has all the mitzvahs in it. That's because in essence the mitzvahs are not. Because if we're going to look at the time element the, of the mitzvah, this mitzvah has to be done in one place and in one specific set of circumstances. The other mitzvah is in a complete different element. How does this mitzvah fulfill that mitzvah? And the answer is because in essence, in terms of the soul of the mitzvah, the mitzvah is infinite. Here is number three. And here is the most important point. You see, the physical materials of a mitzvah might be finite. For instance, just a, an hour or two or three ago, you stood and you were going to light your menorah. Your hand in which you're lighting the menorah is a finite finite muscles, finite organ. It's got a certain, certain amount of weight and of what it, what it is, that's all. And the act that you're doing, the energy of it, it takes the the, the 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 motion in which you're lighting the menorah, doesn't. It's not an infinite energy. It's a very small little act in which you're extending your hand and lighting a candle, and, and that's all you have to do is just touch the fire to it and light it. It's a small little activity. And the the menorah, even if you have a nice, beautiful silver menorah, it's still not infinite in its. In its value, it has a certain, you know, you buy it for a couple of hundred dollars. The oil, the wick, that's all. It's got a few little materials, and that's all that it is. That's only in terms of the quality of the physical materials that you're using. But the person doing the mitzvah, what are you pouring into that mitzvah? What are you pouring into the mitzvah? When you do the mitzvah, it says in the Torah, Hashem you should love God your God. B'chol with all your heart. Imagine doing the mitzvah with all your heart. Every bit, every ounce of love that can fit into your heart is now pouring into this mitzvah. You're loving God and you want that connection so badly. Not only b'chol b'chol It's consuming your entire soul. Your entire soul is on fire. Your entire being. That's not even enough. B'chol M'vavcha means without limits, without boundaries. The mitzvah is bursting. Infinite, without boundaries. Wow. You know how the famous story, Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Berditchev on Sukkot, he was waiting, He was the first night of Sukkot, he was waiting up all night for the morning. He should be able to shake the Lulav and the Esra. He, he was up all night long. And then when it came, when he saw it was morning already, he got so excited. He went running into the room to get his form in him. And then he grabbed it, and then he was davening. And the people in Shul noticed that his hands and his sither and his mouth was like a pool of blood. And they were like, came over, say, "What happened?" And he didn't even notice. He was sh- shaking and davening. It was like, and, and, they, and when, and finally they came over and he realized what happened. They figured out that he was in his excitement. He didn't realize that there was a glass. It was like kind of dark, and he forgot to open up the, the uh, the the door of the, of the of the of the whatever it was that had the. So he just went right through the window Or right through the glass And he cut his hands But he didn't even realize it Because his excitement for the mitzvah was so strong Now obviously Most of us don't have that excitement Don't have that energy when we're doing the mitzvah But if we just for a moment analyze And and realize something like this If you can do just a little meditation Before you do the mitzvah A little meditation And recognize and understand That you're really an infinite soul An infinite soul And you're one with God, and God has a will now for something to be expressed, something godly to be expressed in this finite physical world, physical universe. And the rules of the finite physical universe is time and space. So what you're suddenly doing, you, your own infinite soul, is now suddenly crumpling itself up, contracting itself up, collapsing itself Put it. Think about it this way. You're collapsing yourself, all of your infinity, you're collapsing yourself into a particular... Obviously your body is not infinite, but your soul is infinite. And you're concentrating your soul into just one moment of time and a particular, a particular area of space in order to imbue this godly will in that, in that crevice of time and space. So you can bring all that infinite light into the world. That's it. You've entered into that minute and into that zone. But really? Who are you really? What is the mitzvah really? It's ain't self. It's infinite. It's boundless. And that's true about every mitzvah that you do. Every mitzvah that you're doing really, really has all the infinite potency and infinite power. And it can't be in any way limited to time and space. Yet, it adjusts itself to the creation and only with God's wisdom how to adjust each mitzvah and only Hashem can tell us how where and when in order to influence those particular parts of the world that need to be influenced so that all of creation can one day filled with God's light, God's light. Now we'll understand this is really true about every mitzvah. But in every mitzvah this godliness is not obvious this godly light, the, the infinite part of Hashem is not exhibited in the mitzvah. Hanukkah candles is unique. In the Hanukkah menorah, in the mitzvah of lighting Hanukkah candles, what is so special about it is that this mitzvah, by f- even physically looking at it, this mitzvah um, radiates with the infinite light. This mitzvah exhibits and demonstrates the infinity of what really mitzvahs are all about. Where do you see that? I'm going to point down to five elements in the menorah in which you see that. Point number one, or element number one, is just take a look at this mitzvah versus every other mitzvah. What are you doing in this mitzvah? And this actually applies also to Shabbos candles. As I mentioned earlier, it's Shabbos candles and Hanukkah menorah. What is so special about the mitzvah? The mitzvah is performed with light. When you're doing the mitzvah, what happened? What's the effect of the mitzvah that you did? As soon as you ignite that candle, as soon as you light that lamp, there is more light in the room. If the room is dark, for sure. And even if it's not dark, it's now brighter than it was before. Light has increased in the space where you are. Light has increased. So first of all, you see one thing already in this mitzvah. That what is a mitzvah? A mitzvah is... A mitzvah is a channel of godly light into the world. Now obviously, you can get light even when you're not doing a mitzvah. I can light candles anywhere. Yeah, but in this mitzvah, in this mitzvah you see the godly influence because the mitzvah is bringing light and we understand that what's the content of light? What's true light? True light, true illumination means holiness. It means Hashem's light. Here you can see the effects of the mitzvah. That mitzvahs are about adding godly light. You don't see it in any other mitzvah. Let me put it this way. When I'm putting on tefillin, or you're putting on tefillin, or you're, doing, or you're eating matzah, or you're hearing a shofar, or you're giving charity, you're bringing a great godly light into the world. A great light. But do you see it? Do I see it? No. A big tzaddik, someone with saintly eyes, can see it. But we, we don't see it. We know it's true, but we don't see it. We don't see it. But in the Hanukkah menorah, you see it. You're lighting a lamp, and there's more light. And as I mentioned earlier, light is, 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 is representing spirituality. Light represents holiness. Light represents the godly. If you think, for I'll give an example for that. If you think of seeing one, one year you merit to see Elijah the prophet, Eliyahu Hanavi, when you open up the door at your Seder, what will you see? How do you imagine? How as a kid, how do you always imagine? How is it always written in the children's books when Eliyahu and Navi is coming? What do you see? You see an elderly man with a long white beard, and you look at his face, and he's radiating light because kedusha is light, it's, right? So if you're adding more light through the Hanukkah menorah, what does that mean? It's the one mitzvah in which the godliness of the mitzvah, you see it bothers me very much because most people do mitzvahs and it's so it's frustrating because people don't realize that the mitzvah is something of divinity a mitzvah is a good act it's a good way to live your life <laughs> that's not what a mitzvah is a mitzvah is not good good deeds nice things to do it it makes the world a better place because you're doing nice things mitzvahs are divine And when you're doing a mitzvah, you're channeling. You're channeling God's light into the world. So there is an illumination. And in the Hanukkah menorah, you see it. But there's something else to it. You're not just bringing light, you're lighting a fire. And since you're lighting a fire, you see the infinite as well. Because the one thing about a fire is that a fire exhibits the infinite. Where do you see that? How many candles can you light from one flame without an end? can light and light and light and light you can have a line across the world and everybody will come and light from this flame and it will never end because candle represents flame represents an infinite power so you see in this mitzvah you see the infinite dimension that's point number one point number two where you see the infinite dimension of this mitzvah is in the manner in which we do the mitzvah the first night we light one candle the second night we light two candles the third night we light three candles, we don't do that in any other mitzvah. When you see an increase. That means today, one candle is enough. You did your mitzvah, one is enough. Tomorrow, what do you do? You break the boundaries. If someone is lighting two candles, if someone with tonight, tonight is the second night of Hanukkah, would light three candles, say, what are you doing? What are you lighting three? I mean, besides the shamas, You're supposed to light two. It's enough. Two is enough. And we're suffice. We're so happy. We're, we're content. We sit back and say, ah, I lit my menorah. Tomorrow, if you light two and you go away... Gevald! You didn't light three! Because you have to break what you did yesterday. You have to increase more. So what do you... And then the next night, even more. And the next night, even more. And more and more and more. So you see the nature of the mitzvah is increasing. Which means it's, it's without an end. Obviously, you're only doing it for eight nights. And then we're done. But the concept is an increase. The mitzvah itself is demonstrating the idea of something that's infinite and something that's growing. Another element to it, the reason why we light more than one than one candle every day, we increase, is that's not the law. According to the basic law of the Torah, of the the way the sages instituted this mitzvah, you fulfill your obligation one candle every night. That's all you have to light. Light a candle in your house, one candle every night, a Hanukkah, you did your mitzvah. The reason we add more is because we want to do the mitzvah in a beautiful way. It's called Hidur mitzvah. Now, beautifying a mitzvah means what? What does beautifying a mitzvah mean? There is the law. There are the boundaries of the mitzvah. And you want to do extra, more than that. So what does that indicate? What does that indicate? Overflow. It's not, it's not in the boundaries. It's overflowing. More than that. By Chanukah, we're not just doing the mitzvah in a special way we're doing the mitzvah in a super special way. The sages say we all do it mahadrin, mina mahadrin. We don't do it beautiful, we do it beautiful of beautiful. Now, and it's interesting, only by Chanukah do we do that. All other mitzvahs, there's also something called hidor mitzvah, but not everybody does it. Only people that are more concerned and very, very diligent. For instance, tefillin. Most people only wear one pair of tefillin a day. Those who want to be extra mahadr wear two tefillins every day. And then there are great rabbis who pour, f- put on four piers of tefillin every single day. Four, according to Kabbalah, and there's different, different opinions, those are where four piers of tefillin, but not everybody does it. Hanukkah, suddenly everybody does the mitzvah in the most highest, most beautiful way. Why? Because that's the nature of this mitzvah, is that it has no boundaries. And you do it, you do it, you're always breaking. That's, that's the idea of it. Point number three. About this Chanukah menorah, and where you see the infinite element of it, is that all mitzvahs are done indoors. Generally, in holiness, you have to create a sanctuary in which you're going to. You have to designate a place in which you're going to make. You're going to communicate with God. For example, a shul. It's not recommended to daven on the street, unless you're by the Western Wall. You're on the. But generally, you daven indoors, and in a shul. That's where you daven. That's where you study. That's where you learn. And, it, and, and, and that adds, that adds um, honor and respect that you designated a place for a holy activity. When you're doing something on the street, it's kind of cheap. Street. So you're supposed to designate, you're supposed to do it indoors. All the mitzvahs we do are indoors. There's one mitzvah in which we do outdoors, Hanukkah menorah. Even though, again, te- technically today we light it indoors, but we light it towards the outside. And according to the original mitzvah, you're supposed to light it to the street. To the street. What is that emphasizing? It emphasizes that the holiness, the godliness of this mitzvah, does not remain within the boundaries of what we believe should be sacred and should be holy. It goes outside of those boundaries. It extends how far? Everywhere. Into the dark street. Two things. First of all, we light it after dark as well. All mitzvahs, I mean, after the sun sets. Most mitzvahs are done by day. This mitzvah is done particularly at night. We're onto the street. What is that saying? What is that saying? What is that saying is that the light of holiness has to get everywhere. Breaking the boundaries. Again, the whole whole idea of Hanukkah is to show the godliness of it, the Ein Sof. Ein Sof means the boundlessness, the limitlessness. So this mitzvah shows it. In that the mitzvah is... There are general boundaries in which we keep This is called the holy camp And then outside is the holy. This week Shabbos There was a line Outside our shul over here There was a store that opened up Two, 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 two stores down And um, It was this famous uh, singer A rapper Who owns the store So there were people already here Friday night when I went home from shul There was a line waiting Because he was coming in the morning So they slept over here the whole block was full of people. In the morning, the light was the, the line was like a block and a half. People are standing for hours. The rapper happens to be Jewish. Actually, I wanted to call him up for minion. That would have been nice. In any case, he's a Jewish mother and he's proud to be Jewish. In any case, uh, he was out there. I didn't even know who he was, and I. Went. But in any case, the, the thing is that and then when people, I, I was telling people that I says, "Wow, take a look, take a look at how popular this the shul is." And Mayan, flooding hundreds of people that are coming to, to be inspired with the light of Chasidus, and people said to me, "You're crazy." And you know, obviously, first of all, do you want all those guys up here? Secondly, secondly, this is not—they're not coming. Obviously, they're coming for T-shirts. But but here's the thing, and I didn't mean it as a joke. I meant it literally. I mean literally. Of course, right now, not yet. But the moment Mashiach is gonna come, there's gonna be a thirst for godly knowledge in the entire world, yes. And the lines are gonna be to who knows where to come in and study and to learn and to hear. Because here's the problem is that we're, we're so used to thinking that God and holiness is only for what we, what we believe who's worthy and who's not worthy. Who's right and who's ready for it. So that means that holiness can only be like in Muncie, in Lakewood, in Borough Park. <laughs> In 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 Bnei Barak, Jerusalem. Ultimately, God's light is going to reach the entire universe and everybody. And that's right. Hanukkah menorah. Hanukkah candles is the one time where kedusha, where holiness, blasts past the borders and the order, the regular boundaries. There are boundaries, and there are supposed to be boundaries. But Hanukkah, the light of Hanukkah is a boundless light. So that's the power of Hanukkah. So you see the Ein Sof of it, and the reason why it is that way is because Hanukkah menorah is eight candles. Why is the menorah eight candles? Eight days. So the number eight is a very significant number, according to the Kabbalists, according to the mystics. Seven represents nature. Seven represents a fixed, the fixed order of how the divine usually manifests itself. Through the seven sephirot, through the seven attributes, everything's fixed and limited. Eight represents boundless energy, boundless light, infinite all the mitzvahs we do are drawing the light from the seven. Let's just imagine this, just to, just to, in order to be able to fit, to relate to this. Imagine there are seven big, huge cups in heaven, like the lights of the menorah, and when we do a mitzvah, we're turning the knob of one of those cups, and the light that is already in those cups, the waters of godliness that are already in, contained in those containers, come flowing in every mitzvah. Hanukkah menorah, we're not we're not drawing from the fixed cups. We're getting to the source from where all the energy went into those cups. We're getting to the boundless and to the infinite, and that's the number eight. Chanakah is limitless. The menorah, so, so what comes out from here? The menorah is from, a, the energy of the menorah, the light that's in this mitzvah, is from above the boundaries of Kedusha. See, Kedusha holiness also has boundaries meaning God has has allocated to holiness, Hashem has set aside certain energies, and that's part of the holy world. Then there's stuff that God keeps private to Himself. Yet on Hanukkah we access the light from God Himself, from beyond all all limits, from Hashem Himself. And precisely because of that, we're able to go below the boundaries of holiness. See, holiness has two boundaries, one above and one below. Above means that's its, that's, its, that's its ceiling, that's its roof. It has a limit to how holy it is. What's its boundaries below, that's how far it can influence. It can only reach such and such people. It can't reach other kind of people because they're too low, they're too dense, they're too materialistic, too earthy, Too whatever. whatever explanation you're going to give, too impure to reach. That's only if we're drawing limited light, but when we're getting infinite light, which is Hanukkah light, the number eight that has no boundaries. So since it's coming from above all boundaries, it can go below all boundaries and go into the outside after dark, illuminate, stimulate, reach, inspire every human being, bring light to the entire world. So the Hanukkah menorah indicates and shows and exhibits the infinite dimension Of mitzvahs. And let me just conclude with one important idea. Why did we merit? Where did such light come to the world suddenly on Hanukkah? Such deep, infinite light. The answer is because, precisely because, the challenge. When the Greeks challenged the Jewish people and didn't allow them to keep the mitzvot, the Jewish people had to fight back, but they couldn't fight back. With the finite resources that they that they have, the finite resources would have not been able to stand up against the Egyptians, against the Greeks. The Greeks were mighty and strong, and they and they and they had and they left the Jewish people no choice. See, the way the Jewish people fought back was because the Jews uncovered their infinite dimension. How did they uncover that? The fact that they laid their lives on the line, and they were willing to die to to be able to keep the mitzvot. They went to fight a war and they knew they're going to die. And they went to war. Where does that self-sacrifice come from? Self-sacrifice even though it's a... we might say it's also a finite thing. You're doing something, you're giving your life, no it's really infinite. Cuz what's really behind someone risk giving his life up for the sanctification of God's name. It's not like a Muslim who's giving his life up because he's promised in heaven that he's going to have so and so whatever whatever they promise him there. Okay? So that's that's a that that Obviously, that's, that's what? That's still being selfish. That's being super selfish, because I'm willing to kill who many people so that I can go to paradise and get whatever. That's the most ugliest human being you've ever seen. That's not self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice is like this. I am committed to the mitzvah. I am committed to be a Jew. At what cost? To me, being a Jew is priceless. What do you want from me? You want $100? I'll give you 100 $100. You say to do the mitzvah, it's going to cost me $200. I'll give you $200. You say to do the mitzvah, it's going to cost me $1,000. I'll give you $1,000. You say to do the mitzvah, I have to give you my entire wealth and everything I own, I'll give you that. To say to do the mitzvah, I have to give you my, my life. I have to be giving, willing to give my physical life up. I'm giving my life up as well because I cannot live without a mitzvah. I cannot separate from God. You want my children's lives as well? I can't even hold that back. The, the famous story of Hannah and her seven children. She had all her children died for the sanctification of God's name. You see, what Masirat Nefesh means is that there is a point in, in us in where our devotion to God is limitless. It's infinite. There's no stop to it. It's expressed in the act of Mesirat Nefesh, of self sacrifice. So when the Maccabim gathered the Jewish people and they revolted and they went to fight for Torah and mitzvahs, they uncovered within themselves the deepest infinite part of their soul. When they did that, they reached into God's infinity. They they drew down miracles from the infinite light and they brought us Hanukkah candles, which the Hanukkah candles contains infinite miraculous light that has no boundaries, and has no limitations. And here's the beauty of it. From the Chanukah min- mitzvah, where the mitzvah of Hanukkah candles are infinite and boundless, it reveals that about every mitzvah. Every mitzvah you do, even though we don't see it, but from the Hanukkah menorah, we get the ability to do every mitzvah and to sense the infinity in every mitzvah. To realize a few things. To realize, first of all, that when I'm doing a mitzvah, it's not just a physical act. But I'm doing a mitzvah, this too is like a Hanukkah lamp. This too is adding light. Secondly, to realize that the truth is, even though I'm doing this mitzvah, I'm wearing my own tzitzis, I'm wearing my own tefillin, I'm eating my own matzah, I'm not just influencing me, I'm influencing non-Jews as well. I'm influencing the world. Because the light of it is really boundless and infinite. Number three, the fact that I'm putting on tefillin today, is not the same tefillin I put on yesterday, just like the menorah. Every day I'm increasing more and more and more light. So when I'm putting on tefillin, tomorrow is more light than yesterday. And the next day the tefillin is even greater than it was today. Every day we're breaking new boundaries. Every day we're breaking new barriers. It's going on, it's endless, it's endless, it's growing. Your Shabbos candles this week is not the Shabbos candles from last week. Because if it's just what you did last week, why do you have to do it again? You did it already. It's new light, it's higher light. And that's in every mitzvah. It continues, it grows, it, 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 it's, it's endless, it's endless. Our eyes don't see it, of course, because we have, we're blindfolded. Until Mashiach comes, we're blindfolded. But from Chanaka Menorah, the, the, this idea of mitzvah, being or, being light, being ein sof, is the core. This is the key to all mitzvahs, to the infinite dimension of all mitzvahs. This is the reason why we began the class. If you're careful with your Hanukkah menorah, not only will you increase and draw down general light of Torah, but even for the next generation. And really when you say for the children being scholars, those scholars that are Torah scholars of the children, they're going to light the menorah too. Which means they're also going to have children who are scholars. Which really means you're bringing bringing an infinite continuity of holiness and godliness into the world. That's the power of our Chanukah Menorah. It's it's the mitzvah, it's the one mitzvah in where where the godly element of the mitzvah overpowers the finite external shell. Whereas in all other mitzvahs, there is an infinite light and an infinite power, but the setting, the encasement of the material physical world blocks and covers and you can it's possible that we only notice its limitations and its boundaries and don't see the other side of the mitzvah its its limitlessness in hanukkah menorah we see its ein sof its its infinite ability and may the merit of all of our mitzvahs finally shine away the last bit of darkness that's still out there and let the world be suddenly let the world be flooded with the infinite light of God which will bring endless and boundless blessings for every single one and ultimately the ultimate blessing the coming of Mashiach, may we and we will light the menorah in the Beis Hamikdash may we see it now